to Tremendous Tales with Liz Pichon. That's me. This podcast is where I talk to my brilliant guests about some very important things like snacks, which is fast becoming my favourite section, by the way. (laughs) My guests will tell us a tremendous tale and a tremendous fail because we all make mistakes. So my fabulous guest today is none other than the author and illustrator Nadia Shireen. So let me tell you a bit more about Nadia. She's listening to me as I'm reading this, (laughs) making sure I say the right things. (laughs) So as a child, she enjoyed making homemade magazines and comics. And so did I, Nadia. So we'll talk about that. Um, She studied law at university and then worked in a magazine in magazine journalism. It was during this time that she started to draw again. And after a lifetime of doodling in the sidelines, Nadia decided to pay some attention to drawing. And in 2007 was accepted onto the MA course in children's book illustration in Anglia, Ruskin University, Cambridge. Her debut book, Good Little Wolf, received a mention in the Bologna Ragazzi, I think that's how you pronounce it, Opera Prima Prima Award, and won the UKLA Book Award. Nadia has been shortlisted for the Roldale Funny Prize and the Waterstones Children's Book Prize, and her latest brilliant book called Grimwood, which is for slightly older children, and that looks hilarious. So Nadia, thank you so much for agreeing to come on our podcast, and I'm very excited to talk to you, as you can see. It's a pleasure. (laughs) Thank you for asking me this. Now, how have you been doing over the last few months? Have you been getting lots of material for your books? Yeah, it's been a really busy time, actually, um, which I'm very grateful for. But yeah, full on, because I've been, uh, as you say, kind of writing and illustrating my first middle grade book. Uh, so for slightly older children, uh, Grimwood. So I've just been learning about how to do that as I do it. I've never done it before. So oh. it's been a learning curve, as I believe what they call it. Yes. Yeah. And also I was going to say, like you mentioned about you used to make comics as a kid. Now I used to do that as well. And it's really interesting that so many sort of people that do uh, authors and illustrators, like we all really love comics, didn't we? What kind of comics did you like? So I used to read the Dandy, the Beano, you know, Mm -hmm. all the ones that you could get um, down at the local newsagents. But um, I also used to read, so I'm, um, my parents are from Pakistan. And when you went there, you would get all these American comics that you couldn't get here. Oh. So when, I went, when right. I went there, I discovered Archie. I don't know if you've heard of Archie Comics. No, never. Oh, look, Mark Mark's. Mark's. Sorry, my husband Mark. So <laughs> Archie Comics are the, these, like, all-American comics about a gang of teenagers and, like, just their adventures at high school. And I got really obsessed with them, as well as kind of the mm-hmm. usual stuff. So I love Garfield and... Um, actually, I didn't. I didn't read Snoopy Peanuts comics when I was a kid. I discovered them quite late. But um, I found them in newspapers. Did Snoopy you? was always in a newspaper, wasn't it? Yeah, like in the Sunday. Yeah, no, I was more of a Garfield girl. In fact, that was how I used to. I was a really shy kid, so I just basically didn't speak for the first ten years of my life. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but what I would do to kind of get by at school would be teach kids how to draw Garfield. And that was Did a big you? deal oh. at the time. And that got me, that kind of meant people left me alone and I was okay to just be quiet. I'd be, yeah, because there's a formula, like two big eyes, the dots, yeah. the, you know. And um, that became my calling card. So, yeah, I was a big Garfield fan as well. Snack chat. All about your snack of choice, Nadia, which is, drum roll. It's, it's, it's the chocolate-covered pretzel. <laughs> Of which I have here. Here we go. Yeah. I feel really bad because I... Yeah, I don't sorry. have any. I'm pretzel list today. It's tragic. 
Well, and we might have to, um, we'll drop those into you so you can, you can treat yourself this afternoon. Now, I'd never come across a chocolate covered pretzel before. So I was delighted and I'm quite cross actually because now (laughs) I bought two packets and they're incredibly Moorish, aren't they? So why do you like chocolate covered pretzels, Nadia? Well, come on, Liz. I mean, have you noticed a difference in your life from like the, the before when you didn't know they existed and now you know they do exist? Do you not find that your life is kind of richer, it's more kind of three-dimensional, everything just feels better, more optimistic? No? (laughs) I do. It's also, they are incredibly Moorish as well. Like, you really, really can't just eat one of them. It's impossible, as I found out. Obviously, I like to imagine there's some massive snack factory, some kind of science lab, where they're measuring the perfect amount of salty to sweet ratio. Because I love like a salty sweet thing. So when I go to mm-hmm. the cinema and I have popcorn, I ask for a mixture. So I get them to right. do, um, do I do sweet first or salty first? It doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. But I ask, I ask for a mixture. Uh, prefer, I, think right. salt, I think sweet at the bottom and salty at the top is the best way. Because then you get your salty savoury. Then when you start to get a bit parched and a bit thirsty, you get the relief of the of the sweetness underneath. It's a bit like dinner and pudding, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, I I've always been a fan of this. When I remember as a kid, grabbing a fistful of like Smarties or Kit Kats mm-hmm. or something, and then a pack, and then some ready salted crisps, and kind of if you shove them in your mouth at the same time, you get a similar. <laughs> You know, you get a similar sensation. So this is just the delicate adult version, the chocolate covered pretzel, because it's just mm, the sweetness, the saltiness. The shape is very pleasing as well. Um, And there's also, because of the shape, if anyone doesn't know what a pretzel looks like, it's kind of like a, it's like if you took a piece of string and kind of twisted it up. So it's like in a knot, um, it's almost like a heart with a V in the middle of it but that's pretty smart because there's lots of extra surface space um to have the chocolate covering the pretzel and they're quite they're nice bite size as well because you see those big normal pretzels that you get you see in the films in New York on the and they're massive and and absolutely disgusting I've never had one absolutely delicious I think they're a different beast though aren't they the different the, the giant chewy ones that you eat with like two hands they feel like they're a different foodstuff in a mm. way. I feel like maybe we've infantilized, I can't say that word properly, uh, pretzels. <laughs> but what I like about these pretzels is you can shove a load in your gob um, at once. But should you want to pace yourself, you could mm-hmm. pick one up like nibble. Yeah. It's, it's been quite controversial about how people eat various snacks, hasn't it? I've been surprised, actually, because, I mean, I'm, I'm quite a fan. I had this discussion with Adam Kay about how to eat a Twix, and I was sort of saying, describing how I would eat it in layers, you know, and sort of save it, which he thought okay. was absolutely appalling. But I think that's a good thing. You could do that with a pretzel as well. So I, would you I, eat... You, I think I would do the layers with a Twix, especially if you've gently refrigerated it before. I like to put my chocolate in the fridge. <sighs> A little bit. Okay. Up. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, when you're writing your books, would you would you be reaching over for a pretzel for inspiration? Then would that help I you? Might. I mean, obviously, other snacks are available, like carrots. That's but you know, available. but like, uh, I would definitely. What I would do is, I wouldn't be able to have a bag next to me while I'm working because I just wouldn't work. I would just sit there and eat the whole thing. <laughs> I would rather just have a designated break. So I would go downstairs, have a cup of tea. 
and then have a snack. But I wouldn't even attempt to work whilst the snack was going on. It would be like its own sacred space for the snack. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the rest of the tea. That's a good tip. Yeah, the rest of the tea would come back up with me. Because then I can focus on the snack. I've got a lot to say about snacks, as you can tell. (laughs) Well, the other day, when I I did an event the other day, and I suddenly realised how much of my event and how much of um, the things in my books are based around snacks. And, you know, and snacks and food and treats and things like that. There's just loads of them. So I'm the same. There's food in every one of my picture books. And and my other books, for that matter, I can, I can point you to a food page or reference. <laughs> um, well, why not? I say. Well, I think it's also because, especially when you're writing for um, writing children's books, or you're, you're remembering all the things that you used to love when you were a kid, and it's definitely mm-hmm. one of the things that I was very obsessed by, which was snacks and crisps and sweets and things like that. Um, obviously, you know, like we keep saying, other things are available. <laughs> Are you genuinely then? Are you genuinely obsessed with Tunnock's tea cakes? Like, is that from you? Um, you love them? Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, I put those in the books because I did used to play the caramel wafer biscuit trick where, you know, I'd eat them, leave the empty wrapper on the table, and then my sister or somebody would come along and go to eat it, and I'd be like, ha. <laughs> be empty but I used to do the same with club biscuits as well and Anne's mini cereal packets you'd always sort of eat the eat your favorite <laughs> ones and you just leave the empty one there which would drive everybody that's so yeah, it's bad isn't it I'll tell you what my sister used to do as well uh, especially with wagon wheels which incidentally are a lot smaller smaller <laughs> than they used to be she used yeah, to they're still, take... horrible. they're still horrible they've always <sighs> been horrible are they oh you see I, I quite like I mean they are a bit sickly but they're a little bit like a tea cake because they've got um, the marshmallow stuff in them. But my sister used to actually, if I was eating one quite nicely, you know, just nibbling the edges, my sister used to get my hand and she'd push, squash my hand around it so that I, so, so it all squashed. I'd be like, no, and it all squeezed out between my fingers. nasty sibling thing to do. Yeah, <laughs> that's really mean. It's also, I used to do that thing where I used to make the foil things with the, you know, make things out of the wrappers as well. Oh, yeah. which was, I used to do that. So cool. know, that's how sad I am. When I when I think about what we do for a living, Nadia, I'm like, oh, this is our job. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's ludicrous, isn't it? I was, I was going to just quickly say, I met a young person um, the other day. Hopefully there are some young people listening. Um, <laughs> and this young person, I was just chatting uh, and, the, and I said, oh, what do you think you, you'd like to do when, when you grow up? And she went, oh, I'd like to get into dentistry. <laughs> And I just thought, wow, that's amazing. You must think I'm such an nincompoop. <laughs> <laughs> it's very impressive, isn't it, when when um, kids have that those kind of ideas. I mean, like, think, thank goodness being a dentist would, would not be my idea of a no. fun job just because I hate going to the dentist, but obviously you have to go. But speaking mm. of different jobs, I, we did talk, we did touch a little bit about the job that you used to have when you first started, was, which was in Smash Hits, which if anyone who doesn't know was a, a music magazine. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that and how you got started and the kind of things that you were doing at Smash Hits that made you suddenly decide that you wanted to go into doing children's publishing and uh, writing stories? I wish I could give you a plan and say there was, all, there was a big plan, but like most things in my life, I just kind of... Um, you know, stumble from one thing to another. I mean, I originally did a law degree, would you believe it? Mm-hmm. I went to university and studied law and realised really quickly I'd be the worst lawyer ever. Um, <laughs> I didn't 
Why? Why Why was that? Uh, I just didn't have the will to do it. I just wasn't really that interested. Um, when I when, well, nobody you know, was an uninterested lawyer, do they? <laughs> no. When I was at school and I did my A levels, I did A level law, and that was really interesting because we were looking at the police and at the, at the legal system, uh, studying it, criticizing it. I was learning all about it. I thought brilliant. Of course, when you go up to if if you go to university. Uh, and if you do a subject like law, well, you're no longer criticising it. You are part of it and you are mm. learning, you know, you're having to kind of get engaged in this very uh, quite intimidating new world. And it just didn't really suit me. Um, mm. It was a great for some people. I made, you know, I made a couple of nice friends, but it just didn't really suit my <laughs> personality. My problem is I've always liked doing, uh, it's not a problem, but I've always liked to draw and write stories, but I've also got another voice in my head trying to make me behave like a proper adult. (laughs) And most of my life up to this point has been me wrestling, the two Nadias wrestling. So sensible Nadia did a law degree, but other Nadia went, ah, and and got into, moved down to London and got into magazines. Uh, I love magazines. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you get many magazines anymore um, now, but but I used to read them cover to cover when I was a kid, and I used to like I used to like reading the interviews with kind of pop stars and all the rest of it. But I liked mm. the other stuff too. So they would have there'd be a photo and then there'd be a funny caption, and I used to really enjoy whatever the funny caption said. And I would be like, wow, that'd be a funny job, just kind of having this magazine and, and, and adding little comments and yeah. putting it together. Um, Smash Hits, which was a pop music magazine, was really I well mean, like, put if, To get it into perspective, like Smash Hits, Hits was the magazine, wasn't it? Especially, oh, there, there weren't, I mean, there were other ones, around, but it was the biggest one. It was incredibly popular and everybody who was anyone yeah. in the pop industry would go in there. It would, I mean, it would sell millions when I was reading it. I must yeah. confess, by the time I was old enough to work there, which was about the year 2002-ish, it was mm-hmm. not selling millions anymore because we had the internet and telly, right. um, more telly channels and that kind of thing. And, and, and Smash It's wasn't anything like as popular as it was when we were younger. Um, but that said, I still had a really good time. And funnily enough, my job... I wasn't really talking to pop stars. I worked in the office. I was a sub-editor and then a production editor. And that meant my job was kind of helping put the magazine together, um, do spelling mistakes, do headlines. I mean, and fix spelling mistakes, I should say. Um, do headlines, write the funny captions for the photos, just write right. little bits here and there. And I would kind of um, I'd be helping actually make the magazine look like a magazine. So there were bits of design in there that I learned, and I learned about laying out pages. I learned an awful lot, and I think now when I look at my career as a picture book maker, I can see how that time in magazines kind of influenced me or, or, or helped me understand yeah. a little bit about how books look. Like, where do you yeah. put the words? Where do you put the picture? How does that work? Um, yeah. it really helped that part of my brain that's really interesting as well because if kids are listening to this then thinking about oh you know it's one of the questions that I'm sure you get asked as well it's like where do you get your ideas from or how do you start yeah. and it's interesting to know that even if you don't start off doing the thing that you really love doing or that you know you're not sure about what you want to do that actually everything like that has 
particularly if you're working in a magazine, because I used to do lots of greeting cards as well. Mm. Um, And greeting cards were great for thinking of captions and developing characters. So it might not be exactly what you think that you're going to end up doing, but it's there's lots of things that you do that end up being very useful for picture books particularly. And I can imagine magazine work would, would be like that. Yeah, there, there's loads that's useful, but you don't feel it at the time, do you? Yeah, I mean, that's I really can, true. I remember when working, I've had all sorts of funny odd jobs as well um, over the school days, <laughs> working in factories for a few weeks here and there, working in shops, working in cafes and, you know, all mm-hmm. those sorts of jobs. I can remember making egg mayonnaise sandwiches for a service station and at the time you know it's quite miserable you don't think oh this has given me such a great life skill but you know what years down the line little things help I'm never rude if if someone's having a bad day in a shop or a cafe the till's down they look a bit stressed my mind always goes back to when I used to work in a shop or a cafe Mm. you just think oh, that person's having a bad day, like be extra helpful or, you know, don't be rude to them or it's not their fault. Um, so even when we're having what feels like quite a boring time uh, in the future, <laughs> these things can help us. That's true. That's really true. That's really good advice as well. We used to do um, we used to do market stalls a lot. We used to sort of sell T-shirts on a market stall and do boot sales. We used to do boot sales a lot too, didn't we? Oh, Looking sales. I've done boot sale a couple of times. You've got to get really early for a boot sale, haven't yeah. you? You have to get up really early. But it's that thing where, I mean, when I think about all the things that you learn from doing market stalls and boot sales and things, you really learn how to sort of set things out and mm-hmm. how to put things, you know, how to display things, what people like, you know, learning how to talk to people, trying to be organised. And in a weird way, that's been really helpful for when I do events. Because <laughs> yeah. it reminds you of, you know, just packing all your stuff together, you know, what can you put out? What can you talk about? So there's always things that you you do in your early lives that um, can be very mm-hmm. useful. So I thought everyone would be interested to hear how you started. Oh, you didn't actually get to the point where, how did you start from going for smash hits to actually working on books and picture books? So I was a smash hits for a couple of years. And then I moved on and I became a freelancer, which meant I worked on any magazine that would have me for like weeks at a time, I would do shifts. Um, and I did, you know, I was a, I was a freelance uh, sub editor for about 10 years. And I just was getting a bit fed up with it, to be honest. I think because I was moving to different offices regularly, I wouldn't necessarily know anyone or bed in for long. I'd been doing the job for a while. So it was mm. not, it wasn't very enriching it was interesting because when you think about how a magazine is put together, a writer will write an article interviewing, you know, uh, interviewing Beyonce. Someone's going to take a photo of Beyonce and the designers will make it look nice. Mm-hmm. And the editor will make sure, you know, will, will, will be deciding, making all the bid decisions. And at the end of the issue, they have all made something. They've got something to show for their work. Me, my job was clearing up other people's mistakes. And so it was invisible. <laughs> and the only time you would be acknowledged for your work would be if someone said, uh, Nadia, there's a mistake on page 73. Oh, no. Oh, and you no. let that go. And you'd be like, what about the 5,000 other mistakes that I fixed you're not <laughs> yeah. aware of? So by which I mean it's a certain type of job for a certain type of personality. I'm... I managed it for a while and there was a lot I enjoyed about it. I enjoyed being part of the team, 
but I, I felt sad not making anything. I love making, yeah. whether yeah. it's, you know, writing, drawing, uh, playing some music, like creating. I guess I'm just a creative person. Mm. And you know, I reached 30 and I was like, I'm not creating anything. I'm V-sad. I started to do evening <laughs> classes in illustration just to see, I don't know. I just thought maybe I'll do greetings cards. So one of the designers at Smash Hits had taught me playing with um, a, a thing called Photoshop on the computer, which I'd never yeah. used before, but they had Photoshop in the, in the Smash Hits offices. I was like, ooh, look at this, I can draw a bear. And um, <laughs> one of the, someone spotted me doing it and said, hey, can you draw a bumblebee and a sheep to give away on, on a notebook that we'll put on the cover of Smash Hits? I went, yeah, brilliant. And they thought, yeah, brilliant, we don't have to pay anyone. Yeah, so, <laughs> that sounds like so, a magazine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that, was the, so that happened, and that was really funny, and everyone was like, isn't it weird that that strange sub-editor can draw animals? And for me, I was like, wow, look, yeah. something I, I've drawn has actually been printed, and it's a thing. And that gave me, that kind of made the voice in my head a bit louder, that, like, you know, you need to explore something else. So, but mm. But it all happened slowly I mean I'm hopping around but it happened slowly so as I was working my nine to five well nine to seven uh job I would do little evening classes here and there and just be slowly like a dung beetle pushing a big rock <laughs> pile of poo up a hill I'd just be gradually <laughs> doing another evening class and like doing a bit more drawing in my time. it was like that for 10 years so it wasn't I wasn't an overnight success and then I did this um, master's in children's book illustration, oh. which was really expensive. So I had to make quite a big decision. Well, you know, doing a master's is expensive. Like going to mm. university again as a grown-up, basically. So I had to save up and got some help, um, you know, from my uh, husband at the time and, you know, my mum and everyone uh, so to do this course. But the problem was I was still working. So it was really hard to get my homework done. I remember at one point mm. the guy in charge of the course said, now, I'm not sure you're going to make it, <laughs> because, oh, well. um, because, you know, <laughs> he's a lovely guy, but I mean, he, he just, I think he had a point, you know, he, he was like, you, you just haven't got time, you know, because right. you're working as well. So then we made, then I made the decision to stop working uh, towards the end of this course and really focus on b building a picture book. And I made mm. a book called Good Little Wolf. And then I had a graduation show and I wasn't expecting anything. All I wanted was my tutor to say, well done, you've done really well and you've passed. I just wanted to pass and then carry on with my life in magazines being a bit bored. But what happened was at the graduation show, some publishers came along and they really liked Good Little Wolf and they made me an offer wow. uh, to publish it. And I was in shock. Like I remember that night clearly just kind of like almost feeling sick. Yeah. Because I was in such shock. Just be careful about what you wish for. <laughs> yeah, it was a great thing. But I was in yeah. shock for like quite a few months, actually, if I'm honest. Uh, I was shell-shocked. And I suddenly had this new career. Okay, but very weird. It just was a weird time. And I didn't know anything about the book world, really. I didn't know a thing. Mm. I didn't have an agent. I didn't know how you were meant to behave with publishers. Luckily, I had a really nice one. But then, you know, I I I'm sure I made a complete swear word out of myself <laughs> word I'm looking for I reckon in those first two or three years of me working in books uh, a lot of people met me and went what an idiot because I just didn't know no. what I was 
Or... I, do you know, I mean, it's really interesting that you're saying that because there's so many things I think lots of people can really relate to. And, you know, I mean, I didn't know anything about children's books or the children's world. I think the first publishing party I ever got invited to, Mark said to me, um, actually, probably won't be able to use it. <laughs> Mark said to me, don't get drunk and dance in the in the fountains. <laughs> I just genuinely, like didn't know you know you turn up I didn't know anybody I could see people that I knew there were you know other famous authors and I just honestly thought people somebody was going to tap me on the shoulder and go okay you can go now (laughs) you're not really a a real author so I don't know anybody I don't know anyone who feels well I certainly didn't feel particularly confident at all about you know I just used to get excited exactly like you did you know like you get really excited when you just get a publishing deal but you I didn't know how to make books or you know how no. to put them together. I didn't know what the process was. I didn't didn't know any of that. And it is there's a lot of just trial and error and working things out as you go along. And you were always looking at other people and thinking, oh, God, they they seem to know exactly what they're doing. <laughs> Endlessly. And also, there's a, there's a huge aspect of learning on the job because I got picked up so early when I wasn't even looking for it. I hadn't necessarily done the homework about well, this is what my career art is going to be. Um, I had all my mistakes were made very publicly and are in print, you know. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, no, exactly. And it's difficult, isn't it? Because when you've done books, like when you first start off, you know, you look back. I mean, I tend not to look back at stuff I've done really early on. I mean, it's so different. I illustrated a book once for uh, Julia Donaldson. I can't wow. believe somebody gave me, I know, but I can't believe, I had no idea the magnitude of that. And I look back at it and I thought, oh, God, I can't believe I managed, you know, I don't, I don't think it's, it's not one of her most successful books, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you do, don't you? You're just kind of like learning on the job. And also, you know, to, to tell children about the fact that things don't always happen straight away. And there is a certain amount of learning that you do as you go along. And, you know, it, it takes a while sometimes, so... That's, but look at you now. Well, <laughs> yeah, no, I do. I do remind myself. You know, I, I do try because it's what it is. I, I'm never going to feel massively confident. I don't think. But on the other hand, you know, I don't want to uh, disregard any success. And I did sort of pinch myself the other day. Uh, I think because you know I've got a middle grade book out, so it's working in a different way. And I just sort of had to pinch myself and say, just enjoy this now, because you don't know what the future holds. And, uh, you know, it's been since that graduation show, it's been 10 years and things have moved on quite a lot in that time. Um, I've not like taken the world by storm, but like I've built, I have a body of work. Mm. and, And I kind of think whatever happens now, even if I'm never published another book again, I have a body of work. And that's, that's a nice feeling. Well, I hope <laughs> not. It's not going to happen. No, but I, I honestly, I can absolutely identify with everything that you're saying. And I think sometimes it is really important to sort of, you know, look back. And it's that freelance thing as well. When you don't know what's ahead, you don't know whether somebody's going to find your book funny. I think there's different stages, isn't there? There's getting a publishing deal, right? Coming up with an idea. Yes. Straight yeah. away. And then you have to get a publishing deal, which is very excited. And then you have to actually make the book. And then you yeah. see the book for the first time, and that's exciting. Ooh. And then you have the next stage when you actually see it in the shops, which is yeah. really exciting. When that's you go fun. in, 
yeah, you go in as an author and then secretly turn the books around and make them so that they're really prominent. <laughs> yeah, and then it's lovely when the children start reading them and you get that feedback as well. So, oh, Nadia, your, your, books is, your book is out now, which is called Grimwood, and we're going to talk about that probably a bit more at the end. But um, it's brilliant and it's really funny. So anybody out there listening to this, go and get yourself a copy because it's absolutely hilarious. And it is going to do really well. (laughs) But we're going to also talk about a tremendous tale, although you've already told us lots of interesting facts already about how you get started. But I'm sure you've got another tremendous tale that you'd like to share with us. So we're going to play this first. Tremendous Tales. So what is your tremendous tale then? You know, what's scary about this is that I had to look back back on my life and I realised I don't have many tremendous tales. But I don't know if this is a tremendous tale. It's more like a nice, gentle story. Okay, okay. You do a nice, gentle story. Yeah, well, it's you just, do a nice, gentle story. Because the tale, I know this is my second time around. My last tale was about me dancing on stage with a band. And then I thought, well, was that that exciting? And then I, and then I thought... Well, we were excited for you. Were you excited for me? Oh, maybe I should tell <laughs> that story then. My other story well, was about in a kitten... Uh, that was limping. When, this is when I was about 17 and I was going to the shops and there was this little white kitten with blue eyes that was limping by the side of the road. Mm-hmm. A little baby, a little tiny <gasps> thing. And um, I picked it up and it seemed to be in some distress. It was quite damp. So I, I put it in my coat and went back home. But we already had a cat uh, called Jenny who was really miserable, who hated everyone. <laughs> Apart from me, she hated everyone. Um, and my parents wouldn't have been impressed with the idea of me bringing home another cat, so I smuggled <laughs> the cat home, and I had this cat uh, secretly in my bedroom for about, I'm going to say about five hours. Oh, I okay, this- I thought you were going to say about five weeks. <laughs> no, for me, five hours was quite okay. good. I- so I went upstairs for five hours, and then the thing about this kitten was it had clearly lost its mum, and it was a bit too young to be out and about by itself. But it, it was it was very happy with me. And it used to climb up to my shoulder and it and it kind of found my earlobe. And this is going to sound weird, but it used to suck my earlobe. Okay. <laughs> it used to suck my earlobe, I think, because, I don't know, maybe it reminded it of its mum. And yeah. it used to get paws and, like, press at my face like knead my face mm. it's too weird and this is like early material for um uh, a character in a book at some part, point and it used yeah. to and it used to purr so loudly and it was just the happiest thing in life and then so eventually i went downstairs with this tiny little white ball of fluff uh that had fallen asleep uh purring and, and sucking my earlobe and I showed my mum and dad and they were won over in about 10 minutes Aww. because he was like the cutest kitten alive and he had bright blue eyes, really gorgeous. Um, my old cat was really unhappy, but to be honest, no one Curious. cares. Everyone was like, whatever, Jenny, you've given up <laughs> no love whatsoever for 10 years. Look this at this new kitten. Yeah, it was like, I don't know if anyone's familiar with Garfield, it was like normal. Did you ever read oh. Jim Garfield strips? There's a yeah. there's a little 
little Nermal that, that oh um, yes <laughs> it's really furious isn't it it was a Garfield and Nermal scenario and um so so I was allowed so oh no this is it so then we were like well what do we do so I made up some posters saying found kitten stuck them around where I mm-hmm. found it reluctantly because I was, yeah, like, I was gonna is- say did you make yeah, the was- poster like not look like the kitten so no one would <laughs> recognize it Patch with like really massive, <laughs> um, and then after a few days, and everyone fell in love with this cat. We called it. We called him Fred. Um, of course, of course. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. And then, but then terrible thing happened. A few days oh. later, the doorbell rang. Oh, Someone no. had only turned up to claim him. Oh, and, oh no. yeah, I think he's ours. And there was this woman there. There was this woman there with these two kids, and we were like, oh. <laughs> I went and got the kitten. She said, yeah, we've got one. It's had a litter. We were like, oh, great. I went and got the kitten. I was quite so holding back the tears. I couldn't even speak. Yeah, I bet. And my mum said, oh, I always remember, she said, oh, we've grown. It's a shame. We've grown really attached to him over the last few days. And the woman went, oh, well, you can keep him. You can keep him because we've got another. We're not bothered. She didn't, I must admit, she wasn't the warmest woman alive. No, um, no, it doesn't sound like it. No, and she went, oh, I'll keep him there. And the two, I always remember this kid that was with her, went, oh. And I felt a little bit bad for the boy, a little bit bad. You I was seven. The kittens. I was 17. So I was like not quite an adult, but also not a child. Mm. And I should have obviously felt bad for the kid, but I didn't. I was just like, ha. <laughs> it's a kid, you know. Tough and you, kid. And you knew that you'd be able to give it all the love and it, it, it sucked your in. <laughs> sounds it's terrible. Not, I know it sounds awful. It's such a bad sentence. It would suckle my <laughs> ear every night. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's true, though. So, did you get to, you got to, please tell me, you got to keep the kitten then. We got to keep the kitten and it was the happiest six months of my life. But what happened was I realised that this cat was so affectionate and so lovely, but it couldn't hear anything. Oh. And I remember going to a bookshop in, the, in town and picking up, like a, this is before the internet, guys, and picking up a book about cats and looking up, um, trying to find his breed. And it, I think he was a British white short hair or something. Mm-hmm. Because it said white fur, striking blue eyes, you know, very striking. Yeah. Tend to be deaf. Right. And I went home and sure enough, did it did some unscientific tests in, in my <laughs> hands. Symbols. Like, yeah, and I was like, oh poor thing, he's deaf. And now looking back, looking back on this, I would have done things differently and maybe I would have not allowed the cat to go outside. But I I didn't really think it through. Um, And sadly, Fred met his end uh, because he couldn't hear cars. He couldn't hear vehicles. And he was was found uh, knocked over in our driveway. But do you know what? I I found him, or the neighbour found him and and told us, and I was very, very sad. It was a bit like Bambi, but he looked, do you know what? It must have been very quick and he wasn't swished or anything horrible like that. He just looked asleep and he looked very gentle. And I was like, okay, well, he's had a short, eventful 
and happy life. Gave him a very happy life, and I buried him by my uh, in the back garden by an Aww. apple tree. I mean, look, I really need to get some more tremendous tales in my life, don't I, Liz? That's what <laughs> that's what this has taught me is that I need more action because this is the best I could drum up. Was I had a was I had a cat once. <laughs> No, I mean, I, I, I think that I think it's a good story. It's a good story. And I particularly like the bit where, you know, after we, we had a similar experience because our kids were desperate to get a pet. And one day um, a dog we had we, we lived in a basement flat, which had like a, a front garden, which was a below pavement level. Like a really, you know, uh-huh. do you know what I mean? So you're walking on the pavement and a dog <laughs> fell in. A dog <gasps> fell into the front. <laughs> just obviously was just you know went through the railings and just sort of dropped down into the car and the kids honestly thought this dog had arrived from heaven for them <laughs> they were very very excited and then the owner obviously quite rightly <laughs> came to retrieve it and it was like oh, and they'd only had it for not even an hour I don't they're not even that long no, it was very very short but they were they were very much like you were they were handing it over with like but, but it was ours for such a short period of time. Yeah. I feel it. I feel well, it. I'm going to say thank you very much for sharing that tremendous tale with us, Nadia. And now we're just wondering if you might have um, a tremendous fail to share with us because everybody makes mistakes. And sometimes, like we've been learning, you learn more from the mistakes that you make than you do from the um, the things that go right. Tremendous fail. I definitely do have... I've got loads of fails. Um, <laughs> no, this one goes back to... So we were talking about when I used to work on magazines and I worked at Smash It. And... Uh, we used to have posters of the bands of the moment in the middle of Smash Hits. And I'm sure your listeners have heard of McFly. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure most of them, if they've heard of McFly, they will definitely have heard of a band called Busted. And Busted were the big band when I was working at Smash Hits. Um, there were these two, uh, two, sorry, three boys with haircuts and guitars Um I'm sorry that that, that that I was never a big fan personally, but you know, what? they had a huge fan base and people were in love with them. And, um, and that's fine. You know, um, that's what pop stars are there for. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we had a big special fold out busted poster one issue. And what was special about this busted poster was that we had got their uh, autographs, their signatures. I'm trying to remember their names. Charlie, Matty and, and the drummer. I can't remember who Rudolph. No, not Rudolph. James. James, okay. Charlie, Matty, James, right? Those are the three members of Busted. And so we got copies of their autograph. And the idea was we'd have the poster of them and then put the correct put their autograph on top of so the Charlie's autograph would be on top of Charlie and then James's would be on top of James. And so it would look like you had a proper signed busted poster. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, much excitement. There was a special thing on the cover of Smash Hit saying free inside. Signed busted poster. Oh yeah. Big deal in our world. Massive deal. So part of my job was to um, I would help put the magazine together. And I would go through it and check for mistakes. So I would check spelling mistakes, make sure all the headlines were in, make sure tiny, tiny things like 
there was a correct picture caption, that the page numbers were all numbered correctly. I had to go over the whole thing with like a magnifying glass, trying to make sure everything was perfect. And um, the designers designed up the poster. We put the, we put the autographs on or, or the designer put the autographs on. And there we go. I think it's all fine. The editor, who's the person above me, who's the boss, she thinks it's all fine. We, we, we send the issue off and two weeks later, the issues come in. And we're, we're looking, I hate it. I hated it when the issues came in because oh. it was a very nice team. It was such a lovely team I worked with. Everyone was really nice. But people would, would be like, yay, yay, new issues are in, yay. And they'd rip open the box and go, oh, look how great my article with so-and-so looks so brilliant. And oh, look at my photo. It looks great. And I would just be sitting there waiting for someone to... Oh, to pick out you know, a mistake. To find a mistake. Sure enough. Oh. And it was bad because the per- this person didn't even shout it. There was like the sound of a chair going back and someone walking very quickly over to the editor. And then another person coming over and then a huddle forming around the editor. And, oh. and that's when we discovered that we had not put the correct autographs on top of the correct boy. <gasps> Matty's autograph was on top of Charlie's, or, you know, it was something like that. There was some mix-up, which sounds like not a big deal. But when, at the time, Busted were basically keeping Smash It's afloat, not many people were buying magazines, and it was a massive deal, and, oh, that was a fail. And even though I hadn't actually put them on myself... Uh, I still had the, you know, it was kind of my, I'd let it through. Mm. And that's exactly the kind of thing I should have been checking. So what so, did you do? Well, all I could do was just kind of hold my head in my hands, apologise. <laughs> um, and the editor was very good about it. They, the editor wasn't horrible to me, actually. The editor was like, this is bad. But I was aware that it was bad. I think if I'd been if I'd been like oh well it's not a big deal that would have been worse but I was I was aware that it was quite a mistake but do you know what was awful was then letters started to come in from like letters written in like glittery biro from busted yeah. fan who were really angry about it um, well, at least it wasn't on social media when people would be <gasps> immediately so tweeting about that I know yeah. I'm so lucky social media wasn't around then everyone <laughs> in the office. Everyone in that office was really nice, apart from one woman. I can't say who she is or what her job was, so give it away. She was never nice to me. And uh, she was quite happy. She was almost happy that it happened. Oh. And I always remember that she she went, oh, it's awful. Like, she just went on and on and on about it in a really oh. over the time. And she was like, it's so awful that this happens. It's just terrible. Look, listen to this letter that I've just had. And she read out this letter from a reader. And then she went, I'm, and she sat opposite me. And she went, I'm going to stick this to the wall right oh. here. So we'll be reminded. <laughs> and I was it's like, like, we'll just hang it around your neck. So you have to walk around with that poster dangling from I your know. neck the whole time. I know. It was, but, I, but at that point, I was like, all right, calm down. Like, I know this was a fail, but... We are acting like... Well, actually, it was it was interesting in a few ways. Yes, it was a mistake, but you know what? The, in the two reactions that I've described of the person who was not very nice and was a bit mean, but then there was the person who was actually in charge, who was the editor, my boss, right. who said, yeah, okay, 
the mistakes happen, but do you know what? It's happened. Yeah. We learn from it and we move on. And she was the person that actually was my boss, not the other person. And I learned a lot about their two responses, actually. And I've never mm. forgotten it. I think if I'm ever in the position where someone around me has made an error, um, I'd much rather be like my boss was. And yeah. there's just no point, really, in when you, when you fail or when you make a mistake, you feel rotten anyway, don't you? And yeah. I think... I think rubbing salt in the wound isn't very gracious and actually just saying to someone, you know what, these things happen. We all make mistakes. We are all human and it's not the end of the world. We just do better next time. That's the only way to go because you can't do anything. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's like, that's what, you know, that's a really good response to something like that. But actually things happen, mistakes happen. I think earlier, a lesson that I wish I'd learned earlier, which if I could go back in time and tell my younger self, if there's a boss or someone in charge and they are being rude or they are shouting or they're being nasty, they have lost control. They're not doing their job properly and yep. you should not be, I mean, I, I can't say don't be upset or scared because you know, you might, you, that you feel how you feel and I would probably feel that way, but try and remember that as well. Um, if someone ever speaks to you that way uh, and they lose their temper, they lose their rag, they're rude to you, they are not doing their job properly, not you. Yeah. Um, and that's something I had understood <laughs> from a young age. Yeah, no, that's that's so true because it's usually like it's like the sort of food chain, isn't it? That they're probably yeah. being put having pressure on and they've lost it and then they just shove it onto you. So good point, Nadia. That's <laughs> not going to happen to us. We're not going to let anyone shout at us or be no mean. Way, no. No. <laughs> So that that brings me really nicely. I know we've taken up loads of your time already, and the thing is, we could chat for ages, which is <laughs> which is a problem for Mark editing afterwards. Like, cut that bit. Um, so, what I would really like to talk to you about now is I'm going to hand over to you um, to give a shameless plug for to tell us all about uh, all the amazing books and all the things and all the projects and things that you're doing, particularly a book that you've got out at the moment. So would you like to tell us about your shameless plug? Oh, thank you so much. So my shameless plug, the main thing I'm plugging at the moment is my book Grimwood, which is my first ever middle grade, as they call it. Oh, thank you. I'm clapping, uh, sorry. <laughs> Middle grade book, uh, middle grade, I guess, means like seven plus, but mm-hmm. I kind of think Grimwood, I mean, I would say this, but I don't think Grimwood has got an upper age limit. I think you could read it if you're 12 or if you're 14 or whatever. I don't really think it matters because it's um, it's a bit bananas. Um, it's a book about two urban foxes who are forced to flee from the big city where they hang out by the chicken shop bins. And they have to run to the countryside. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of the countryside in children's books, I think of Hundred Acre Wood, I think of Wind in the Willows, all these kind of beautiful, very English, very bucolic, gentle places. And I thought, well, hang on. What if the countryside wasn't like that? What if actually the animals in the countryside were as bananas as the animals in the city. (laughs) And that's kind of what's happened. So Ted and Nancy, who are a brother and sister, um, a a fox cub, brother and sister, we don't know where their parents are. They have to run off and hide out in the countryside and they find Grimwood 
And Groomwood is just packed full of really odd animals. Um, <laughs> funny, like also funny animals. And it's very and funny. It's about how they they settle down um, in Groomwood and the friends they make and um, and all that kind of stuff. So I had lots of fun making it. I must say. So that's out right now, isn't it? And is there going to be a Grimwood too? Do we there know? Is. Well, there's going to be quite a lot. There's going to be quite a lot. There's going to be a Grimwood two and three. Hold Ooh, on to your hats, Grimwood two and three. But as well as that, there's going to be a special uh, Grimwood book for World Book Day, which oh, will wow. be out. yeah, which isn't out until I think World Book March, Day is isn't it? Yeah. But um, so there's going to be three and a half Grimwoods if you include the World Book Day book, which I'm just working on now, actually. Uh, <gasps> that's exciting. Yeah, that's I'm cool. really excited. Yeah. That's um, the brilliant thing about the World Book Day is that um, the tokens, uh, kids get a free book, which is amazing. I mean, and you can just exchange them token for a book. And who doesn't like a free book? I'm really hoping that kids will um, exchange their token for Grimwood because I think it's quite, it's got something for everyone. Um uh, and the main thing is to try to make it as silly as possible. Uh, you know, there aren't necessarily any great messages uh, about life in there, but there are lots of jokes on the main thing, are jokes. Well, that's, you know, that's a good message, isn't it? Yourself. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm just full of Grunwood at the moment. Brilliant. And also you had your picture book out as well, which was, was it yeah, Barbara? So Barbara Throws Barbara, a Wobbler. Barbara Throws a Wobbler came out this year, and that's been really... Uh, that's gone down really well with lots of uh, kids uh, who are trying to understand why they have massive tantrums or wobblers. Um, (laughs) Do you know, it's quite funny. I was doodling. I like to doodle with my sketchbook just in bed or wherever. And I drew this cat called Barbara who looks really annoyed. And I wrote something like, oh, wouldn't it be amazing to do a book called Barbara Throws a Wobbler? Bet it would never happen. And then brilliantly, you know, a year later... Uh, I had a book in my hands called Barbara Throws a Wobbler. So there that, you go. That did feel quite magical. Um, <laughs> so that's out, and I'm working on another picture book for next year, but I don't know if I can tell you what that is yet. Oh, okay. Hush, hush. It's secret. Hush, but... hush. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit secret, but I'm very busy, but that's a good thing. Yeah, that's excellent. Thank you so much, Nadia. And uh, people can find out more about you. You've already got a website. Your, all your wonderful books are out in the shops at the moment, which is Grimwood, which we've talked about, and lots of other brilliant picture books that Nadia's been involved with. So I'm going to give you a round of applause. Thank you so much, oh. Nadia Sharif. enjoyed this podcast please do like and subscribe and I've been told that it really helps other people to find it and I would love as many children as possible to hear from these amazing creative people that I've talked to and to get inspired to pick up a pen a pencil get creative make up their own stories just like we've done so thanks very much for listening bye